Welcome to Harvest Time Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Jules Pritchard. Two aspects of the tithe we want to look into tonight. One aspect is the celebration. Celebration. <laughs> celebration and the other aspect is the supply the celebration and the supply I'm going to start by looking into Genesis with me Genesis chapter 14 I'm going to read from verse 14 to 20 now when Abraham heard that his brother was taken captive he armed his 318 trained servants who were born in his own house and went in pursuit as far as Dan. He divided his forces against them by night and he and his servants attacked them and pursued them as far as Abiah, which is north of Damascus. So he brought back all the goods and also brought back his brother Lot and his goods, as well as the women and the people. And the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Shavai, that is the king's valley, after his return from the defeat of Chedoraroma and the kings who were with him. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine, he was the priest of the Most High God. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And he, that is Abraham, gave Melchizedek a tithe of all. Or a tithe is otherwise known as a first fruit. And Abraham, when he saw Melchizedek, when he saw this strange king, he gathered one-tenth of the spoil and laid it at his feet. We sing about that tonight. Mm -hmm. I lay down all of my crowns mm -hmm. at the feet of Jesus. Now, Abraham, against all odds, won a battle that in the natural realm he could have never <coughs> won. Why this was like the first world war recorded in human history. There were four kings that went to battle against five kings. And one of those five kings was the king of Sodom. And that's why Abraham got involved because his nephew at that time was living inside Sodom. So when the king of Sodom went down with the other four kings to the four kings that were victorious in this battle, he was taken captive. So Abraham 
got his own family. The boys in his own family, 318 of them, and went after these four kings and defeated them that night and brought back all of the goods. He brought back all of the treasure. And we see this Melchizedek turned up to celebrate Abram's victory. And when Abram saw him, he laid at his feet one-tenth of the spoil. Abram knew the secret to his victory was beyond human strength, but it was the God of the universe that had given him the victory. So Abram knew how to continue the supply lines with heaven. I'm going to read on chapter 14, Genesis chapter 14, verse 22. After Abram had given a tithe of all to Melchizedek, he said this to the king of Sodom, I have raised my hand to the Lord God Most High, the possessor of heaven, and earth, that I will take nothing from a thread to a sandal strap, and I will not take anything that is yours, lest you should say, I made Abram rich. We have to think carefully about these words. We see here, Abraham knew the supply line that he had established in his life. And even though he had the opportunity to take the goods of the king of Sodom for himself, he said, I will not take anything that belongs to you. I will not receive anything that comes from the kings of this earth because I have a greater king that has revealed himself to me and has strengthened himself in my life and has manifested himself to me and has blessed me. I do not need anything from you in case there is some kind of attachment there. In case you might say that I have had something to do with Abraham's success. Abraham knew if he was to succeed in this life, he needed to open up the supply line with heaven and cut off the supply line from this world or from the spirit that operates in this world. See, we have to understand that behind money, there is a spirit. Jesus told us that when he walked on this earth. He said, you need to decide, people. 
You either serve God or you serve money. In other words, Jesus put all of the God's little G in one category under money. And he set himself and the God, his Father in heaven and the Holy Spirit as the other option. And when he came down to the earth, he understood from what he saw in the people, but they were laboring very hard for the bread that perishes. He said, don't do that. Don't work so hard. Don't strive so hard. Don't concentrate and strain so tirelessly for the bread that perishes. But seek for the heavenly things. Seek for the bread which has come down to give his life to the world. In other words, Jesus said, let's cut off the supply line down here and establish the, the supply line that I am giving you. If anyone eats from my flesh, he will never perish. I am the living bread, Jesus said. So we see this strange king, Melchizedek, appearing to Abram. In Hebrews chapter 7, we read a little bit more about him. And we can uh, defer from this that he was the Lord Jesus Christ himself appearing uh, to, Melch to Abram. Hebrews 7 verse 1, this is Melchizedek, king of Salem or Jerusalem. At this stage, Jerusalem hadn't been established in Israel, but he was a king that represented the Jerusalem above. He is a priest of the Most High God. That's our Jesus. And he met Abraham as Abraham was returning from the slaughter of the kings, and he blessed him. He is the one that Abraham gave a tenth part of all. He's a king of righteousness. He's a king of Salem, or the king of peace. Jerusalem is a city of peace. This Melchizedek is without natural human uh, genealogy. He has no father and no mother. He has no start. And no end. But he remains in his priesthood continually. Praise be to God, we have a priest that represents us before the Lord. Now consider how great this man was. Abraham gave him a tenth of his spoils. And those whom the sons of Levi received the priesthood or the representation between God and man had a commandment to receive tithes from the people according to the law though they have come from the loins of Abraham and they also paid tithes through Abraham figuratively but also in the natural they would bring a tithe of all their increase to the Lord So verse 7, beyond all contradiction, the lesser is blessed by 
the better. Abraham was a very wise man. He knew the one that could bless him and would bless him. Beyond all contradiction, the lesser is blessed by the better. So we see here, mortal men receive tithes, but who receives them? So when we bring our first fruits to the Lord, or even into the hands of a man, we see Jesus receives them. Jesus is so interested in your life. He's so interested, not only in your prayers, in your understanding of what he accomplished for you on the cross. He's so interested in even your monetary life, your physical life. He's so interested in your victories. He's so interested in your increase. He's so interested and he so much wants to celebrate even your paycheck, whether it be big or small. He's so interested in you. I praise God that we have a God who is so mighty, so powerful, and yet he would get down off his throne to come if we invite him into a place where he would celebrate yeah. our finances. Jesus is so amazing. So, the tithe is an invitation for celebration. It's an invitation to invite Jesus into your finances. It's an invitation to, to invite this Melchizedek, this king of Jerusalem, to come down and invest himself in your little world. How good is that? It's wonderful. And we give him the invitation. He doesn't force himself on us, but he waits for that invitation. And he knew when to turn up on the scene after the battle because he saw Abraham's heart after he was bringing the spoils back he saw Abraham's heart saying, I, I cannot keep this. This does not belong to me. God has blessed me and I have enough. And as soon as Jesus turned up, Abraham knew what to do. So Abraham said to the kings of the earth at that time, I have another supply. I have another source. And this is the second thing that we learn from Abraham's life. Is that he knew how to open up the supply line of heaven. And not to accept the supply from the spirit of this age. There is a spirit behind money. And we need to say no to the love of money. And we need to say yes. To the king of kings. Amen. 
So when Jesus turned up in this world, it was like an orphanage. And in an orphanage, the children in the orphanage, they don't know their father. They don't know their identity and they have to take what they can get. Abraham was a man who knew who he was. He had established the celebration of God over his finances and he had established the supply line with heaven. And we first fast forward uh, into John chapter 21. We read the story about when Jesus had risen from the dead and he came to serve his disciples breakfast. John chapter 21 verse 4. When the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Then Jesus said to them, Children, have you any food? They answered him, No. Jesus knew they didn't have any food. He knew they'd been toiling all night. That's why he came prepared. Jesus came prepared. <coughs> Somehow between rising from the dead to this occasion on cooking breakfast, he'd acquired some fish. And he was all ready. They were ready to go. And um, nevertheless, he gave his friends, the seven guys that were there, some advice. Verse 6, cast the net onto the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. We're going to learn something about the right side. The right hand speaks about the strength of a man's life. It speaks about our work. And Jesus is interested in our work. When Jesus turns up to bless your work, you will prosper. We see that they eventually brought the fish to shore through a little struggle. Verse 9, they came to land and there they saw a fire of coals and fish laid on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of your fish which you've just caught. Very interesting. Every little word is there for a reason. Jesus didn't need the fish to make up enough breakfast. Jesus came prepared to serve his disciples. The fish were ready to serve. And we know, even if there wasn't enough fish, when Jesus serves, the food is multiplied. 
every time Jesus multiplied wine or bread or fish, there was always abundance. So Jesus didn't need the fish to serve breakfast. And I ask you the question, why did Jesus ask them to bring some fish? And I want to suggest that in order for Jesus to have breakfast with his men, in order for him to have fellowship, intimate fellowship, they needed to bring something. They needed to bring a portion of their catch. And it's only after they brought that could they sit together and eat the blessing of heaven. Jesus said, verse 12, come and eat breakfast. Why? Because Jesus is interested in your work. Jesus is interested in what you earn. He's interested in the itty little bit of your life. What a great God who owns the cattle on the thousand hills, who spun the stars into the universe, who created the, the valleys and the mountains and the hills. But he cares about $150 that you earned last week. He's so invested, but he needs you to bring him an invitation. He wants to come and sup with you. He wants to enjoy a meal with you. He is our great God. But we must bring something to the meeting. He doesn't need your money because there is any lack in him. But he needs you to invest something. He needs your honor. And like Abraham, when he saw Melchizedek, he took the treasure and out of honor, he knew what to do. So, bringing the first fruit, it establishes a supply line. It, and, and this is important because understanding that there is an, a, a spiritual attachment behind money. And we have to decide, are we going to depend upon the God of this world? represented by the king of Babylon or are we going to depend upon the king of Jerusalem Jesus taught his disciples in a, he took time to teach them in a very practical way and this was the last miracle that he did when he was on the earth, before he left the earth. He helped them to catch fish, natural fish, so that they could have provision for their work. The Jesus, it's interesting to note that Jesus' first miracle was also a miracle of provision yeah. for a wedding. Yeah. 
that we wouldn't think is so important yeah. to God. But it was important to the wedding guests. It was important to the bride and the groom. And this was important to his disciples that they'd been struggling all night and caught nothing. But he taught them, if you invite me into your work, then your work would be blessed. And he gave them an opportunity to have provision for ministry. And he sat down over breakfast with Peter and he restored Peter into a place of ministry. Even though Peter may have been discouraged because he had denied Jesus three times, he then took Peter through a process of restoration. He restored Peter to sonship. He said, if you love me, feed my sheep. So we see tithing is an opportunity for sonship. It's an opportunity to invite the living God to celebrate in your finances. It's an opportunity to open a supply line with the storehouses of heaven. What do you think Judas, if he was still there, what do you think he would have done when Jesus requested them to bring some fish? Maybe he would have said, well, well, don't you have enough fish there? Maybe we could sell those, all those fish and give some to the poor. That's a natural way of thinking. So what did Jesus do with the fish? Why did he need the fish? I mean, where did he take them? I believe he converted those fish into heavenly currency and he put them in the heavenly storehouse. What did Melchizedek do with a tenth of the spoil? Did he need more treasure in heaven? No, I I believe he converted it into spiritual currency and he took it to a to the storehouse so that there would be supply for Abraham's family. So when we bring our first fruits to him, we don't ask him what to do with it. We don't question him, but we give it to him because he's the God of more than enough. So this is the feast of the harvest. And we know in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 6, that the hard-working farmer must be first to partake of the crops. In this fishing story, who was the hard-working farmer? <coughs> Jesus had just won the victory for his disciples and for the whole of humanity. And he did that by giving his body the bread and pouring out his blood, the wine, on the cross. Just like when Melchizedek came to Abraham and and blessed him with bread and wine. 
Jesus came to humanity and blessed us with his body and with his blood. And he laid his life down so that dominion can be restored to you and me. That we would no longer be under the law of sin and death and that we would be delivered from a spirit of poverty and brought into sonship. Just like Abraham fought a battle physically to get the victory, in the New Testament, Jesus fought that battle so that we could have the victory. Amen. Yes. So all we have to do is honor Him. Yeah, right. Honor Him as the hard-working husbandman, the farmer, the God of all the earth who came down and did the work that we could never do. But the way that we honor Him and invite Him into that celebration is we bring the first fruits to Him. And during the, there was a feast of harvest uh, that the Jewish people would celebrate. And the way that they would celebrate is when the <coughs> harvest begins, that they would get the crops and they, they would tie them together and they would wave them in worship before the God of heaven. And then this, this harvest time would go on uh, for 50 days and then there would be another feast uh, of, of Pentecost. So the first fruits would start over Easter. 50 days later would be the Feast of Pentecost, which we have today being the 28th of May, 2023. Today is 50 days after Passover. It is a celebration of Pentecost. Why? Because the Lord is so passionate that He could dwell with man. And at the, 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 the Feast of Harvest, Jesus was the first fruit that was harvested. But at the Feast of Pentecost, we are born into that through the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Where the fullness of Christ would come into us. But that being said, there is a celebration at harvest time. There's a celebration if you've ever been uh, on a farm when the harvest starts and the crops are, are looking good. They start it with a celebration. And I want to say to you that the Lord loves a good celebration. And, um, you know, sometimes now we sort of lose track of things because everything's electronic, right? You receive your paycheck and it's just like numbers on a screen. <laughs> but I, I remember the day during my apprenticeship, my boss would go and get the cash, you know, and he'd, he'd, he'd run around with a massive bag of cash. And on Friday fortnight, he'd... Um, He'd count out the cash, you know, and give you the cash. And it was like, woo, look at this, this money, you know, my wallet's fat. <laughs> this is awesome. You know, I could go and do what I do and, and, and you know, I'd keep some for here and there. I'd, you know, give some to the, to the, to the Lord first. And then, I'd, you know, I'd go to the bank, the teller, and you'd give them, give them the cash, you know, and they'd put it in the bank. It was all... Exciting stuff. <laughs> but Proverbs 3 verse 9 says, Honor the Lord with your possessions and the first fruits of all your increase. This is a celebration. 
Honor the Lord with your possessions and the first fruits of your increase. So the celebration, the feast of the first fruits, it's, it's meant to be a celebration. It, it's, it's a time where we, we get excited and, and Jesus gets excited. He gets excited because you're excited and he wants to partner with you. Yeah. He doesn't want to just celebrate your spirituality. He doesn't want to just celebrate you know, your prayer life and your evangelism and your speaking in tongues or, or your laying hands on the sick. He wants to celebrate your work. He wants to celebrate the strength of your right hands. And he's come to visit you. And even though you may get a very small paycheck, it's an opportunity to invite Jesus to come and celebrate that. So, so we have a challenge. You know, when we get our paycheck, we are faced with a challenge. We can either grumble and complain and wonder how I'm going to meet these repayments. Or we can say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Even though it's small, it's going to get bigger. And I give you my first fruits. And I invite you in. Come and celebrate the smallness with me. And let's grow together. Because you are the God of increase. So we bring honor to him. He wants to be honored over the work of your right hand. He wants to be honored over your finances. That means he wants to share your celebration. He wants to partner with you on this earth before you go to heaven. So Proverbs 3 verse 10, if we honor him in celebration... He will honor us with supply. This is how it works. If we invite God into the financial space, into our increase, He will come with His supply. We cut off the supply from the spirit of this age, from the spirit of mammon, and we open up a supply with Jerusalem above. That's why Abraham says, you can read about Abraham in Hebrews 11. He said he looked for a city that had foundations whose builder and maker is God. And his hope and his dependency was upon him. Even though in the earth he, was, he became very wealthy. So this supply, when the supply lines open in verse 10, what happens is, the barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. That means you will have enough for today and you will have enough for tomorrow. That's the promise of God. That's good news. So bringing the first fruits to the Lord is about dominion being restored on the earth and that's why God said to Abraham blessed are you Abraham possessor of heaven 
and earth. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. That we can, you can walk on this earth possessing the goodness of heaven. Yeah. Manifesting the goodness of heaven. But I love Jesus' terminology when he called out to his sons. He said, children, have you caught anything? Have you caught anything? And then, after they expressed their disappointment, he changed the situation. And he taught them a lesson. Fishing with him is far better. Those of you that are fathers or will be fathers one day, I hope you get the experience to go fishing with your son. And I remember those days, and even with my daughters, we all tried fishing. And um, <laughs> it's a, you know, when you've got two or three kids, little little children fishing, it's it's pretty difficult because you've got to untangle the the lines before you get there. Then when you get there, you've got to tie the hooks on. Then you've got to bait it. Then you've got to cast it. And then if you get a fish, the idea is to make the child think that he caught it, right? <laughs> so, so you get the, the rod that's shaking and you give it to the little fella and you make sure he doesn't go in with it. And you try and help him reel it in and then if you bring it up, you, you, you start celebrating. Man, you're awesome. Look what you've done. Look what you caught. It's so big. We're going to take it home. We're going to show mom. And, and he's just so happy and he runs in and shows mom, look what I caught. And, um, and, and why? Because it's so much enjoyable to see your children succeeding. It's so much more exciting to see the excitement on their face. And that's what Jesus did. He was so happy to see his sons happy. And and as they brought some of their catch to him, he was able to celebrate with them. So next time you receive your paycheck, remember this. Maybe you, in the past you, you, you've doubted whether it's enough. But just understand that Jesus is excited. So get excited. Get grateful. Get happy. Because he's happy and he wants to enjoy that moment with you. So we see the father's excitement for his sons. It brings a celebration. And that celebration, it brings an increase. And it's all about establishing a superior source. A supply line. Okay. Um, oh, got a pen here. Okay, let's look at this. 150. How, how many fish did the disciples count out? 153. 153, okay. 153. Very good. So everything is quite significant in the Bible. 153 fish. And they counted it out. I believe they counted it out so they knew how many to give Jesus. 
But before we get into that, uh, for those of you scholars out there, anybody understand Hebrew words and uh, numbering? He, the Hebrews numbered uh, letters. Okay, so there is a, a words that add up to 153 Hebrew words. The first one is Ani Elohim. Okay, Ani, A-N-I, L-O-Him. Whoa. Okay, Ani Elohim. Two words. In Hebrew numerology, that word adds up to 153. Through the chart. But does anyone know that wasn't here this morning what that means? Come on, William. What? God. Well, Elohim means God. Celebrate God. I believe Annie means I am God. How awesome is that? He rocks up. They caught no fish. He says, throw them on the right side. They bring it in. They count out 153 fish. Every Hebrew knew that that means I am God. Amen? Not only have I conquered Satan, not only have I conquered death, but I am risen from the dead and I am God. Not only am I God, but I'm God of your finances. I'm God of your work. And I am here to bless you and make you productive where you have been unproductive. I am God. Interesting. It also, there is another uh, word or two words, actually three words that add up to 153. Um, Beni Elohim. Beni, B-E-N-I-L-O-Him. Anyone know what Benny means? Benjamin? Son of my right hand. Right hand. Son of my right hand. God. It actually means Benny. Elohim means sons of God. Not only am I God, but you are my sons. And I'm going to teach you sonship. Yeah. Because you are no longer orphans, striving in your own strength, working hard and getting nowhere, striving all night, fishing all night, laboring for nothing. But I am going to teach you to walk in dominion authority on this earth because I have restored dominion. And I am God, you are my sons, and you will walk in authority. So the tithing is an invitation to celebrate sonship. Tithing is an opportunity to open up the supply lines with heaven and disconnect the supply lines from this earth, from the spirit of Babylon. So this is all about partnership. No longer are you working for yourself. You're working now for him. And everything you earn belongs to Him. You are the steward over it. Part of that stewardship means you have a responsibility to bring one-tenth in honor 
and lay it down at Jesus' feet. That means one-tenth of what he blesses you with, you don't have any say where to invest that money. Great, Jules. The following 90%, you have complete say what you do with it. But the 10%, you have no say. You bring it to him and you ask no questions. This is the biblical teaching of tithing. Now Judas would have struggled with that. When Mary brought the tithe of all that she had, which was probably more like 100%, Judas really struggled. He said, couldn't we do something better with that, like give to the poor? Jesus said, the poor you have with me, but what she has done will be spoken about every time this gospel is preached. In other words, what Mary has done, there's a storehouse in heaven that is going to be giving and giving and giving and giving because of her sacrifice. Many will be blessed. So, let me just write that out. I'm going to talk about 153 here. Um, and learn something. You willing to go a little bit deeper on this tithing thing? Yes. Okay. So what's a tithe of 153? Fifteen dollars fish. fish. How many fish? Fifteen. Okay. So we're gonna cut fish now, are we? <laughs> okay. Look. How many? How many fish should we bring to Jesus? Sixteen. You want to cut fish? Sixteen. Okay, sixteen. Let's go with sixteen. Is that fair enough? We're going to get to breakfast. We give him a bit more. So Judas might have given, you know, fifteen, but we'll go sixteen. Sixteen fish. Amen. So we've got 16 fish to bring to Jesus. How many do we take to the market and trade in the world? I mean, how many did Peter take? 137. Man, you guys are on the front row, you're bright sparks. 37. 137. Amen. So 137, we go to the markets for provision. 16, we give to Jesus. Okay, let's understand uh, for Bible numerology, I, I like to go f to the Psalms, actually. Psalms. Yeah, P.S. Psalms is cool, right? Psalms is good. Let's go to Psalm 16 and let's, let's learn from Psalm 16. Come on. Psalm 16, verse 3. What does it say? As for the saints... Who are on the earth, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. So, this Psalm 16, it's actually a celebration of sonship. If you, when you go home, read Psalm 16, meditate on it. I remember Sammy, he told me when he came back from Bethel, he spent days on his knees just meditating on Psalm 16 just weeping in God's presence. On, it's a powerful man. psalm, and it's full. 
It's full of the favor of heaven. It's full of the riches of heaven. And we, we just can't do it justice tonight. But just let's start with a couple of verses. In Psalm 16, verse 3, it says, As for the saints who are on the earth, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. Let's picture Jesus by the shores of Galilee. Turning up after he won the victory over Satan, over the victory of death. He turns up to his excellent ones in whom is all his delight. And he provides for them. He teaches them how to fish. And then by bringing some of their catch to him, he enters into a sweet breakfast, a sweet fellowship with them. And this is what God desires for each one of us. You are his excellent ones in whom is all his delight. Yeah. How good is that? Yeah, wonderful. Let's look in verse 5, Psalm 16, verse 5. O Lord, this is the response of the psalmist. O Lord, you are the portion of mine inheritance. It's a response of love. It's a response of <coughs> celebration. And when we bring our first fruits, when we bring our tithe to him, he's saying, Lord, you are the portion of my inheritance. You are my supply line. You are the God of everything that I have. You are the God who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. You are the source of every good thing that comes to man. And I honor you. My cup. You are my inheritance. You are my cup. You meet my daily needs. You meet the needs of my future. And you maintain my lot. You maintain my destiny in this life. And this is the truth. When we open up the supply lines through celebrating with Jesus and allowing him to celebrate in our finances, this is what happens, verse 6. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. What the lines of God's blessing, when it comes down into your life, will fall into order in pleasant places. That is your inheritance as sons of God. That if you would honor Him, you will never lack. He will meet your needs. In Psalm 16 verse 8, talking about the right hand. I've set the Lord always before me. I have chosen to continually invite him into my life and celebrate with me. And as a result, he's at my right hand and I shall not be moved. What is the right hand? It is the strength of my life. It is my working hand. And when I work, I will work not for man, but I will work for him, for his glory. Yeah. So when we work, we don't work to please men anymore because we're not under the spirit of Babylon. We're not under the control of men, but we work for him to give him glory. So we work hard with the strength that he provides. That means we turn up to work. If you're an employee, you turn up on time. 
and you work efficiently and consistently, not when the eyes of a man is upon you, but continually because the eyes of God are upon you. And we work to please Him with the strength that He provides. He is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Verse 11, start of verse 11, it speaks about the celebration of God's presence. In your presence is fullness of joy. So when we work for Him, when we invite Him into our finances, joy comes into our life. Joy is restored into your working life. Isn't that something that was lost at the fall, remember? From the sweat of your brow, you will labor. But Jesus came to restore joy to your work environment. Because you're no longer a slave, but you're a son. This is good stuff. In your presence is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So the right, your right hand speaks about your skill and your work, your strength. But his right hand speaks about your supply. It's a pretty good deal. Yeah. Psalm 16, I encourage you to meditate on that this week. Yeah. This is our responsibility to bring to the Lord. Open up the celebration and the supply line. Psalm 137 speaks about, you can read verse, bring verse 1 up. It says, by the rivers of Babylon. Interesting verse. Psalm 16 speaks about the supply line of heaven. Psalm 137 speaks about the rivers of Babylon. The spirit of this age. And the Jews found themselves in captivity because they neglected to honor the king. They invited idol, idols into their life. They served the God of Mammon. And they found themselves as slaves in Babylon. And as there by the river of Babylon, they sat and wept. They wept because the supply line with heaven had been closed. And the only supplies that they had in their life came through <coughs> Babylon, through Nebuchadnezzar. Yeah, we sat down and we wept when we remembered Zion. Verse 4, how shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? They realized that there was the celebration of God was no longer in their lives because there was no system of tithing. There was no temple. They couldn't bring their tithe into the temple of God with a celebration. So they mourned. How can I sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? Verse 5, it's interesting. They say, if I forget you, O Jerusalem, if I forget the supply line with Jerusalem, with the king of Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill. So when the supply line of heaven is cut off, work has no satisfaction. <coughs> there's no celebration. There's no worship. 
So I just wanted to draw the opportunity to, because of the resurrected Christ, we now have the opportunity to break off the supply lines or the influence of the spirit of Babylon over our life and open up the supply line of heaven through faith in the resurrected Jesus. Where in the past we've been influenced by monetary control, by the love of money, by the pressures of this life, and filled with anxiety and worry and burdens, everything that comes with it, when we break that off and we open up the supply lines of heaven through faith in the finished work of Christ, we begin to walk as sons in dominion. So we have a choice. Are we going to trust in the spirit of Babylon? Or are we going to trust in the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, and open up this supply line in Jerusalem? In Revelation chapter 18, gives us a... <coughs> look into the future what happens to this Babylon Babylon in the Bible speaks about the spirit of this age we see Babylon has been revealed for what it is we see it's going to fall Babylon the great is fallen and has become a dwelling place for demons, a prison for every foul spirit and a cage for every unclean and hatred bird. So this is the spirit of mammon. That's why Jesus said you can, you must decide either you're going to trust the God of heaven you're going to serve him or you're going to serve the spirit of mammon. Yeah. which is the spirit of Babylon mm -hmm. and many of us Christians have given their their spirit to God but their soul there's areas of their soul that are still caught in yeah. Babylon yeah. they're still influenced by the spirit of Babylon and that's difficult because Babylon is a cage full of unclean birds well, there, is, there is a God behind money. There's a spirit behind money. And I faced this, this spirit when I was 18. I was raised, my father wasn't around. He was too busy serving the spirit of Babylon in his office seven days a week. I never saw him. He left home so that he wouldn't have to worry about family so he could concentrate on serving the God of Babylon. I was raised... By the main father figure in my life was my grandfather. He also had an agreement with the spirit of Babylon. And every week when I would go to his house, he would give me 20 cents from a young age. Every week he would give me 20 cents and he would tell me, your best friend is your back pocket. Look after number one, your back pocket. And I would give him an account every weekend of my bank balance and I remember one moment when I was a little older around 15 he took me up uh, to his waterfront property overlooking 
the George's River. He had water views on both sides. He took me up and he said, you know, Jules, if you work hard and you look after your back pocket, you will one day own this. And he pointed next door where the guy had a massive cruiser outside his, his, uh, his jetty next to his river home. And the love of mammon came into me. I felt it. I made an agreement with the spirit of mammon and I decided, yes, I'm going to save, I'm going to become wealthy, I'm going to be rich. And I, and I made an agreement with the God of money. And even though I had faith in God, I believe in Jesus. My soul worshipped money. And when I came when I was born again, when I came to know Jesus Christ and I confessed Him as my Savior, I had to, to die to that desire to be, to be wealthy. I had to surrender my desire for money. And Jesus literally removed that from my life. He delivered me from the spirit of Babylon. He delivered me from the spirit of mammon. So much so that I completely gave that stuff away every desire uh, I gave away I actually went way the other way and I had to relearn uh, the godly principles about finances um, after I had children and I realized my wife and children weren't happy just to live as like nomads <laughs> so God helped me to understand the principles of finances and this foundation this tithing message is a foundation that you can build your life on That's good. if you if you start with that you can then add uh, wisdom you can then add diligence you can then add hard work you can you can then add uh, principles that God will teach you through the word to help uh, help you in your financial life but if you don't get this right if you can't get this right, then you will find there is an attachment in your soul to the spirit of mammon that needs to be broken off. Jesus had to face the spirit of mammon. If Jesus had to face the spirit of mammon, who are you that you wouldn't have to face it? Remember, Satan took Jesus up to a high place and he said, if you bow down and worship me, if you give me your soul, I will give you this. Wow. Jesus rejected the spirit of mammon. You will have to reject the spirit of mammon. You'll need to break off the supply line of the God of Babylon and receive the supply line from heaven. Now, do we understand a little bit more why Abraham said, I will not take anything yeah, from yeah. the king of Sodom yeah. in yeah. case yeah, 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 yeah. he thinks he has a right yeah. to my life. Yeah. Why? Because I've seen Melchizedek and he came and he served me bread, <laughs> he served me wine and he blessed me. Yes. I will not allow Satan to have any influence in my soul. Amen. Amen. Come on. But we see here in Revelation 18 a group of people 
that had been made wealthy through fornication with the spirit of Babylon. That is, they had made a covenant, an agreement with the God of Mammon. He had promised them wealth and they had enjoyed wealth. But there will come a time when that wealth will be taken from you. And we see what will happen in verse Revelation 18, verse 3. All the nations that have drunk with the spirit of Babylon have fornicated with her. The kings of the earth that have fornicated and the merchants of the earth. The traders of the earth that had traded with the spirit of Babylon. There will come a day when they will weep and mourn for her because she will fall the spirit of this age one day will fall if we don't come to know Jesus Christ as the Lord of all as the Lord of our finances if we don't invite him into our finances there's a good chance that you could be lured into an agreement with the spirit of Babylon just as that spirit came to Jesus and offered him great riches. And just as that spirit came to me besides the George's River and accepted me wealth and, and, and offered me wealth, I, I said yes. And I would have been an extremely wealthy man. But I would have been an extremely miserable man. But because I've dedicated my life to follow him, the wealth that I have is immeasurable. Yes. Mm -hmm. Because it's not dependent on my bank balance. It's dependent on a God that fills me with what I need and provides what I need. Not only for me, but for my family and for all those that would come through my life. But we see, Revelation 18, those merchants that had become, verse 15, those merchants that had become rich by her will one day weep and wail. Verse 17, in one hour, such great riches come to nothing. Wow. Nothing. We will not take anything with us. Verse 12, he goes through a list of merchandise that is involved in the spirit of Babylon. Gold, silver, precious stones, pearls, fine linen, purple, silk, scarlet, every kind of citron wood, every kind of object of ivory, every kind of precious wood, bronze, iron, marble, cinnamon, incense, fragrance, fragrant oil, frankincense, wine, oil, fine flour, wheat, cattle, sheep, horses, chariots, and this last one is very surprising. With all of these commodities, with all of these businesses known to man, the spirit of Babylon also trades in the souls of men. That's hectic. Why? Because these merchants, these business people that have partnered with the spirit of Babylon to become wealthy, and rich and prosperous, they had lost their souls. 
Jesus has come to restore us. Yeah. That which the locust has eaten, the palm worm, the caterpillar, that which is destroyed from your life, he is able to restore. If you would commit your life to him, in Revelation 21, we see a different supply line opening for the Apostle John. He saw the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride for a husband. And the king of Jerusalem, Melchizedek, <coughs> the tabernacle of God is with men. He will dwell with them and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying. There'll be no more pain. For the former things have passed away. It's very different for those who trust in the king of Jerusalem. They will enter that golden city. That golden city of provision. And he will literally wipe away every tear from your eye. It's a very different story to those who trust in Babylon. Behold I make all things new. Verse 5. They shall enter in and drink of the water of life freely. Verse 7. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. So good. He's literally going to give his sons everything. Everything will be ours. So we decide. You want to partner with the spirit of battle. No. No. We want to partner with Jesus. With Melchizedek. And in Malachi 3, verse 8, it says, Will a man rob God? You've robbed me. In what way have we robbed God? We've robbed him from the opportunity to have breakfast with us. We've withheld something. We've, in, we've withheld the invitation. Come. Come into my finances. Come into my paycheck. Come into my bank account. Let's celebrate together. Let's do life together. So I, we, we, we encourage in the word of God to bring the first fruit. Bring the, the tithe into the storehouse. And we don't, we, we don't decide what to do with our tithe. It's not for, for the independent, proud man to decide because you may decide that, you know, this person needs it more or that person needs it more or this mission, that organization needs it more. No, you bring it into the storehouse. You bring your tithe into the house of God. Yeah. yeah come on. So the house of God is God's solution for world poverty. The house of God is God's solution for, for missionaries, for world evangelism. That's why we, we, we sow it at Jesus' feet in the house of God. Why? So that there may be food in my house. Malachi 3.10 There may be food in my house. There may be provision in my house. Thus says the Lord of armies. He's serious about this. If you do this, I will open the windows of heaven that have been previously shut, I will pour out a blessing and I will rebuke the devourer. Spirit of Babylon will not steal from you anymore. You'll be blessed. The fruit of your ground will be blessed. Your vine will not fail 
to produce fruit. Jesus is king. Amen. Jesus is king over our finances. So my last point that I believe the Lord wants to communicate with us, it's a self-reflection. And we're going to get into some worship. Maybe the team could come up. We're going to have a little bit of prayer. Sorry we've gone over time tonight, but it's really important to establish in our lives, especially because we live in a city which is probably one of the most expensive cities in the world. God, whatever your desire is, God will open a way for you. Amen. We, it, it's, it's about tapping into the heavenly yeah. source. But the tithe is the only way, I believe, that you can check yourself. To check if there's any attachment in your soul to the spirit of mammon or the spirit of Babylon. And the reason is, If you struggle to bring the first fruit of your increase and lay it at Jesus' feet, if you struggle, then there's a reason why. You don't yet know that you're a son. You don't trust him yet. And there's an attachment. There's an attachment in your soul to the God of man. And there's a fear in you that if I give him, will I lack? Mm. That needs to be broken off tonight. Mm -hmm. But it's a checkpoint for all of us. That's a good job. Because, you know, there's wealthy people in this world that give money to the poor, even those that don't know God. They, they give to the poor, they give to the needy, because, it, it, you know, there's, a, there's a, a human love and a compassion that they operate out of. And it makes them feel purposeful and better. And, and you know, I'm not knocking that. That, that, that is great. But not everybody can just bring their first fruit and lay it at Jesus' feet <coughs> and walk away, not asking where it goes. Mm. This is a checkpoint for you. It's a checkpoint for me. Am I willing to bring the tithe into his house and lay it at his feet so there would be something there would be food in his house. Mm. That there'd be provision in his house. That there'd be substance yes. in his house. Yes. The offering mm. to the poor, the offering to missions is over and above the tithe. Yes. No, it's, I'm speaking from experience here in my life. There's been times when I've been hurt in church. I've been disappointed in church. And I've taken my tithe outside the house of God and I've given it elsewhere. And, and, and God is, you know, is somewhat pleased with my heart. But, you know, there was a disconnect in my heart with the local house of God. And it wasn't, I wasn't acting according to the word of God. And there was one stage there for a few years. I thought, well, you know, my tithe would be of more value in the third world. And there was, there was, for a number of years there, I was able to single-handedly support 12 pastors. And I thought in my mind, that this is, this is noble, this is great. God would surely be pleased with me being able to support 12 pastors. Nobody in the, in the church that I attend is missing my, my tithe. 
Don't give it. I, I had three pastors in the Philippines, three pastors uh, in Uganda, three pastors in Indonesia. I had three pastors in, in South Africa. And I was quite proud of, you know, happy with what I was doing. I felt satisfied. But the Lord rebuked me recently. And I had to, it came a point where I had to stop that support. But, you know, I caused those pastors to depend upon me, not upon God. And they would write me letters and they began to depend on the Western money, not on the faith of God. So you see, when, when someone steps out and starts a ministry or a church, God is able to, to, to supply that which he orders. And... Um, so as I withdrew the support that I had overseas and gave it to my local church, something interesting happened. There was a part of my soul that was detached from the local house that became attached. And there's something powerful. If you sow into the house where God has planted you, you will find that there is part of your heart which is given to the work of God. And you will find you're blessed. And I'm, I'm speaking from the heart of a pastor here. That maybe, maybe if you're feeling disconnected, there's a reason. Maybe there's a part of your soul which is not surrendered. But if you would bring that thing before the feet of Jesus and lay it down at his feet he will bless you he wants to come into every area of your soul and he wants to rule in that area yeah. so we're going to have some worship now we will have some ministry I believe there are some some agreements that need to be broken off with the spirit of mammon with the spirit of Babylon and we're going to do that through praying if you find fear of the area of finances, if you find that there's worry, anxiety, stress, you don't need to carry that. We're going to break that off in Jesus' name. We're going to invite the Lord to celebrate our finances. We're going to open up the supply lines of heaven. Thank you for listening. For more resources, please head to harvesttimechurch.org.au. Or if you'd like to connect with us directly, you can find us at Harvest Time Church on both Instagram and Facebook.